Welcome back to the Cycling Tips Podcast, everybody. I am Kaylee Fretz. It is Monday, October 5th. We are a week into the 48 days of bike racing at the moment. Not a single day off of bike racing between now and many, many days from now. The Giro started over the weekend. We had Liege, Baston, Liege. We're going to talk about all of that. Plus, we're going to hear... The second half of my interview with Inigo San Milan, who is Tade Pogacar's coach. Uh, we'll be dropping that into the end of this episode, so keep an ear out for that one. Before we go anywhere, though, hello, everybody. We're back, four of us here. No Jose today, but we do have Dane Cash out of the closet. Congratulations. Yeah, it's nice here, out in the actual, in my room. Abby Mickey, you appear to be uh, in a very fall-themed porch area covered in pumpkins. As you can see behind me, you can't see, listeners, because this is a podcast, but as the three boys can see, there is a table full of pumpkins behind me um, because fall... Are you doing some carving later? No, my mom put them all out for decoration. And then like an hour later, I was like, oh, shoot, we can't eat dinner on that table now. <laughs> Shoddy Dave, how you doing today? I like your shirt. It's a Mavic one. Again, viewers, yeah. viewers, listeners can't see it. But yeah, Mavic. <laughs> we like talking about things the listeners can't see. It's It's rude of us, but you know. It's, it's entertaining. Let's get into today's episode. So we promised last week that we would give you a Giro preview today. Of course, the Giro started over the weekend. And as we were discussing before we hit record, I think previews after the race has actually started is really the way to go. Because, for example, uh, I don't think Garrett Thomas is going to be winning the bike race this month. I think that seems somewhat unlikely. Simon Yates, too, not looking super good for this Giro. But let's start with what this race actually looks like. Dane Cash, tell me about it. Tell me about the Giro that's coming up. Yeah, so we've already seen three stages as of the recording of this podcast. The race kicked off in Sicily uh, with a TT, and it was one of three. So this is a pretty TT-heavy race. Uh, There are time trials also on stages 14 and stage 21. The race actually ends with a time trial in Milan, one of the... uh, one of the classic uh, uh, Grand Tour tropes of the of the final stage TT that we haven't had a lot of in recent years as we've kind of gotten more and more towards the whole final day sprint situation. Um, so there's still two TTs yet to go in this race um, and a lot of very hard, traditional, challenging mountain stages, uh, which will likely see some weather as well, given the time of year that we're racing. Um, so it's a, it's a bit of a, a throwback, uh, Giro. I think the RCS saw the way the ASO has uh, been designing tours recently and said, let's go back to the way we we used to do Grand Tours with big time trials and big mountains. And that's what we have this time around. So one of the interesting things about this Giro, though, is the way that it's hard from the start. Um, None of this first nine stages, nothing happening uh, stuff. The, the, The race kicked off with the TT and stage three today was hard already. And because of because of stage three. Uh, the, the pre-race favorites conversation, which we might have had on uh, a previous podcast, uh, if we'd done a preview, an actual preview instead of a mid-view like we're doing now, uh, 
the pre-race favorites I'm into the mid-view. The mid-view yeah, makes it mid-view. seem way smarter. Let's be honest. Well, Come it, on. it makes us not have to talk about Gary Thomas so much because he and Simon Yates were the two big favorites. I mean, they were the bookies' top favorites coming into this race, and for good reason. They both looked really good at Trenner Adriatico. Um, Gary Thomas, no longer going to be a favorite for this race. He crashed in the neutral zone of Stage 3, hit a wayward bottle that had gotten tossed, um, as so many of them do during a stage, and he just happened to hit it and went down hard. Uh, he got back on and seemed it wasn't really clear how bad it was at first, but uh, ended up not very much not good. And he lost, uh, I think, 12 minutes at the end of the day on Mount Etna, which is a hard enough climb as it is if you're not hurting. Um, Simon Yates, I don't know that he crashed. He just, uh, as far as we know, this is we're recording this shortly after the stage. He just uh, lost lost it. He cracked on the midway up the climb and, and lost a couple of minutes on the day as well. Yeah, there's a quote from Matt White, his director, uh, basically just saying, you know, everyone has a bad day. And unfortunately for us, it was today for Simon Yates. So, yeah, it doesn't sound like he had any real kind of specific issue, more just bad legs on a day that turned out to be quite important. I mean, Etna has historically been quite important for the Giro. They've, they've hit it quite a, quite a number of times over the last decade or so. Um, and so no surprise that today we saw we saw at least one GC favorite sort of fall off you know, by his own fitness, basically. I'm, I'm not counting Garrett Thomas in that because a crash is kind of a separate entity. But yeah, it's a hard finish. It's a really hard finish. Uh, and Simon Yates is... Not completely out of it, but pretty much out of it. Yeah, Yates lost about two and a half minutes to the other GC riders on the day, which, you know, Tadej Pogacar lost a pretty big chunk of time early in the tour. Um, this is a bigger chunk of time. I think you put it well. He's not completely out of it, but he's certainly not. Uh, he's no longer one of the top, you know, two or three favorites, I think. He's not out of um, it, but he's also not in it. So Yeah, there we go. Yeah, he's uh, kind of like hanging on the edge there. Having a bad day. This early on in the, the tour, in the, the Giro, sorry, isn't like having a bad day midway through because it's just going to kick your morale straight away. Yeah, true. I mean, next time they come into a big climb, he's going to have that in the back of his head, right? And if he's already showing like a little bit of cracking on day three, then that's kind of like, I mean, yeah, the one thing on the one hand, it's early on, so maybe he can, you know, recover by the time the next like big mountain stages come and the next like crucial days come but more likely he's are if he's already cracking it's just going to be downhill yeah not a not uphill. a good sign and An there uphill are battle. there are a lot of uphills to come uh really quickly just to go through the big the big stages that are on tap for the Giro and where where the race will probably be decided uh there are some more tough stages in the first kind of block before the first rest day uh, stages five and nine both have some climbs in them. Um, we do get a rest day. Then stage fourteen is a is a big TT, a thirty four k individual time trial. Where I think Gary Thomas would have loved to take a bunch of time on his competitors. Uh, that unfortunately, I mean, he might still do that, but he'll probably move up from like twelve minutes back to eleven minutes back now. So this is a really a TT heavy course. Are there any other? Sorry to derail your 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 preview here, but are there any other contenders now that are just obviously much better at time trials than the rest because Garrett Thomas for us was that that rider that's why he was such a heavy favorite into this race but like you know I'm looking through the rest of the GC contenders it's guys like Nibbly who are you know they're decent time trials but they're not they're not Garrett Thomas time trials right yeah I think it's a lot of that it's a lot of just fine time trialists not Miguel Angel Lopez level time trialists also he already crashed out of the race so I shouldn't be kicking him while he's down well, uh, and he crashed out of the race in a time trial by falling off his time, time trial bike. Yeah, that, that's yeah. True. Which, 
hard to say that was his fault. I tend to think that time trial bikes are just the worst invention in all of cycling. And so, you know, he just fell down because time trial bikes are terrible, basically. But we do, yeah. we still feel for him. That was, that was unfortunate. Yeah. But it is a lot of riders like Nibali, uh, uh, Stephen Kreisvik, Jakob Fulsong, who are fine. They're, they do fine time trials, um, but they're not, they're not, they don't tend to be dominant time trials. They're not Garen Thomas or, or Primus Roglic or Tadej Pogacar, of course. Um, so I, it's hard to say whether there's going to be a huge, you know, one rider that's going to be head and shoulders above the rest. Um, you know, Ilner Zakarin is still kind of in the GC conversation, I guess. He's a good time trialist, but I don't, I don't really see him making that big a dent. Uh, Brandon McNulty, American, he's in the top 10 GC right now. He's a great time trialist. Uh, so that'd be a, a good opportunity for him to, you know, kind of see what he can do. This is only his second ever Grand Tour appearance. Uh, sorry, this is his first ever Grand Tour appearance, so. I actually, uh, what we're going to be hearing from Inigo San Milan about Pogacar later in the, in the episode, but he also, uh, after we chatted the other day, he sent me a, a couple emails. One was a, a study that he had released um, on this sort of this this uh, metabolic kind of test that he's run on Pogacha that he mentions in in this part of the episode or this this part of the interview. Uh, but the other thing he, he sort of sent me out of the blue was keep an eye on McNulty, and this is ahead of the the world's time trial specifically, where he, actually McNulty did not have that amazing of a day, but. Uh, Inigo did say that McNulty has sort of similar, you know, above world class kind of attributes uh, to some of the stuff that he's seen from Pogacar. He's, he's, he has a couple different, um, yeah, a couple attributes that are sort of outside the norm even for world tour racers. So we may see McNulty put in a surprisingly good ride at this Giro d'Italia. As you said, he's, he's in the top 10 now. That's after a hard TT and after Etna, so we could we could see you know potentially a pretty decent ride for a first time Grand Tour rider and an American, which you know we've been us American bike racing fans haven't had a huge amount to cheer about in the Grand Tours up until Sepp Kuss over the last couple of years. If that's the case, what with them having a good weekend at Liège as well, that team's just bound to have a shed ton of money ploughed into him next year and it's not as if UAE is going to struggle to find it either that team's going to be the one of the superpowers of course yeah they did they did a pretty fundamental restructuring uh what year or two ago that's when they when they brought in Inigo and uh did a a couple other things and it seems to be paying off I mean they've got good riders but the riders are also performing so yeah I think it's it's an interesting team to keep an eye on anyway let's return to Jira preview, Dane. Sorry, we keep going in these random tangents as you mention things and they occur to me. But that's we okay. need to talk that's, about that's the get. actual talk about the actual route here. That's what you get when you do a mid view. You know, we have all these things to talk about now. Um, yeah, the the big climbing days, the big GC days period. I think the last week, as as always, uh, stages 17, 18, 20, 21. That that's where the real big GC uh, days are. Stage seventeen is just a tough day, uh, a tough day in the mountains. Uh, stage eighteen. Includes the Stelvio, stage 20 includes the uh, climb to Sestriere. So two iconic climbs on two of the last few days of this race, if it hasn't already been decided. Uh, and then, of course, the race ends with that time trial. It's a short time trial. It's a 15.7K time trial to close out the Giro, but it, it is a flat time trial. And I always really like having flat TTs in a Grand Tour because it really makes the climbers have to attack. Uh, you know, if, if you're on the same time as somebody else who's a better time trialist, 
uh, and you only have one mountain stage left and then a flat TT, you know you have to do something because the, the, the TT specialists will pick up major time on a flat TT. So that could change the dynamic. It should change the dynamic of the last few days of the race. What I think is going to change the dynamic is, well, whether we do get to the big mountains because uh, we woke up here in the Alps a week ago and we've already got snow sort of at 1,000 metres. And, yeah, the uh, Italian side of the Alps isn't too far away from here what, at all, probably 50k at most. And uh, then uh, Sestriere's not within spitting distance, but not far at all. And I, I'm going to be surprised if they're going to get over a few of the climbs without them being either stuck with it, stuck like having to either plow their way through or just not be able to get over at all and have to reroute. Yeah, I think it's a lot of it's going to come down to timing. I mean, between now and then, it will snow again on the Stelvio, right? It's already snowed in the Stelvio, and it will it will snow again in the next three weeks. The question is, does it snow on race day, or does it snow the day before, and they can just plow it, and everyone can get over, and they get wet and cold, but they can at least race? Or do they wake up that morning and it's snowing, right? Because there's, there's, there's a decent chance here that one or more than one of these final stages ends up having to be canceled because, well, you can't really race in the snow anymore. I mean, you know, there was that famous Gavia stage, the Giro, uh, Andy Hampson, the, the year that Andy Hampson won. And I don't think that the Peloton would be as happy to race up and over on a day like that anymore uh you know we've heard a lot about safety protocols and things like that in the last couple years i think that they would be displeased (laughs) by that decision so i I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see you know courses shortened altered uh, you know make the finish line ahead of the stelvio kind of thing anything's possible uh we're, we're in uncharted territory from a timing perspective here um you know, the Vuelta is going to run into some of the same stuff. It's it's warmer down there a little bit, but they're still going to the high mountains. And, you know, they're still they're still heading up into, towards ski resorts toward November, right? I mean, you're, you're talking about places that are going to open for skiing a month and a half later. Uh, it's just looking at the start list. It's kind of crazy. I mean, if it does snow, we get these. And I think it will because it just where, where we are in the year. It's already October. And there's a chance of there being big snow banks up there. Uh, this is a this is a Giro with Vincenzo Nibli. Steven Kreisvik and Ilner Zakharin. And we're going to get a redux of a few years ago. And I really hope this time uh, Kreiswick and, and Zakharin can stay upright because that was tough to watch a few years ago. Yeah, Kreiswick and Snowbanks, not best of friends, unfortunately. No. We f- fingers crossed that he can get through unscathed <laughs> this particular Giro. So, Dane, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna turn the Giro on for, you know, five stages, what what are the stages that I really, really, really want to watch? So, stage 14, the TT. Uh, stage 15, it's a really up and down stage uh, with a tough finish. And I think it's going to be an entertaining stage. You know, whatever impact it has, it's going to be an entertaining stage. Uh, and then stage 18 uh, goes over the Stelvio. Stage 19, Sestriere. And you got to make it five, stage 21, the, the TT to finish. So, I think that last week is going to have a lot of action in it. Um, I would just watch the whole thing. I mean, why, why, you know, why confine it to just a few? I mean, you should watch the whole race and listen to every podcast and read every story on cyclingtips.com uh, as well. I that's think probably that's what you should do. Yeah. Should yeah. And if, and if, uh, although I think it's closed now, but hopefully you're in the, uh, the cycling tips fantasy competition for the Giro here. We've added another, another option too. You can now create a team 
for the whole race, kind of like some of the other fantasy competitions out there. Yeah, I'll, I'll add to that that I think that the some of the stages across the Apennines, which are, which come earlier in the race, are going to be really interesting because I would wager that some of the climbers kind of hedge their bets a bit that that maybe those big mountain stages at the end of the race don't actually happen, and so they look at some of these Apennine stages as as really their opportunities because you know if you get to stage if you wait until stage 18 19 uh you know to to hit those big mountains and then those big mountains disappear from the race then you're kind of you're kind of out of luck right and so i think that we're gonna we're gonna try to see riders try to take time earlier than they maybe normally would have and those stages are hard the apennines is you know it's this ridge of mountains that goes down to kind of the center of italy and they're they're not the alps of the dolomites but they're big. They're big mountains. And it's, it's big climbs, and uh, the roads down there tend to be not quite as good either. You know, it's, it's hard roads. They're curvy. The the road surfaces aren't very good. So I think that we could see some some decent splits uh, in that part of the race as well. Let's talk contenders. I mean, we, you know, we've gotten rid of Garrett Thomas already. Well, we haven't gotten rid of. He fell down, unfortunately. Uh, Simon Yates not looking so great. Who else is still in the running? Yeah, I mean, the, the big name is a former winner, Vincenzo Nibali. Uh, and the question at this point is, what does he have in the tank at this point in his career? I mean, he's clearly a very talented and experienced rider, but at this point, does he have too much experience? Uh, he's, he's been around the block. He's, he's won many Grand Tours in his, in his career, but we haven't quite seen him at that level, uh, you know, a Grand Tour winning level. Uh, in in a little while, uh, and I think the feel that this year's Giro is a little bit uh, is a little bit uh, it'll be helpful, I guess, in his endeavor to win another Grand Tour uh, because it isn't quite up to what it might have been in a different year, uh, and it's not quite you know the Tour de France, obviously. That said, he's been second at uh, at the Giro as recently as last year, and he was second at the Vuelta 2017. So he you know he's still up there, uh, and he certainly has the the climbing legs and the, the time trialing legs to to thrive on this course. Um, I think he's as good a time trialist as is left uh, among the GC contenders. So he's certainly a name to watch. Uh, for me, Jakob Fulsong is probably the the the, the favorite for me. Uh, it's really close between him and Nibley. Uh, the thing with Fulsong is that he's just never really done it before. He's he's always he's been great in one week races. Uh, he's put in a top 10 here and there in the Grand Tours, but something always happens in the Grand Tours for Full Song. It's not like he crashes out all the time. Uh, he just, it just hasn't been where he's been at his best. Uh, but he's really turned it on in the last couple of years. He's been uh, he's been better in the last two or three years than he ever has been in his career. Uh, so I, yeah, I think he's got a good chance to go head to head with Nibley. And then Kreiswick is the other one. I mean, Stephen Kreiswick is a, is a rider who's at times looked like he could win a Grand Tour. He is at this very race looked like he could win the Giro into the final week. Uh, and then disaster struck as he crashed into a snowbank. Uh, but, you know, third at the Tour as recently as last year. So those three riders are, are pretty head and shoulders above the competition for the overall. Um, and, you know, that's a big change from a few days ago. Because a few days ago, this was very clearly, we thought, uh, Gary Thomas versus Simon Yates. Neither of those riders is here anymore. Uh in, in, in the top of the GC conversation. Uh, Alexander Vlasov as well, a rider that people thought was going to be up here. Um, and unfortunately for Vlasov, he is not in the race. So that, he, he DNF'd on stage two. Uh, so it, things have changed pretty dramatically since just a few days ago. 
What about um, Wilco Kelderman, who had a pretty good ride today? And uh, as of today, stage three, when we're recording this, he's fourth in the GC. Yeah, I think Kelderman is a is a is a really interesting bet. He's he's sort of in the second tier of GC riders with Joe Almeida. Um, Kelderman is a rider who's like constantly in the GC top tens. He's he's always there or thereabouts, uh, and he's just never really put together a strong challenge for an actual podium uh his best ever is i think fourth he was fourth at the vuelta one year um and he is a very good time trial so you're talking about riders who are good at time trials i mean he's of the ones who are kind of in that top uh 10 right now that conversation he's he's up there um i just i I do wonder if he can really put it all together over over the course of of three weeks uh ditto for rafael micah another rider who's up there who is often in the top 10 um, but there's just so many question marks around basically every contender. You know, it, it, does Nibley still have it? Can you, can full song Kelderman, Micah, can they do it over three weeks? Kreuswick, can he stay upright? Uh, there's just question marks about everybody at this grand tour. Makes for a good bike race. Yeah. I honestly think this is going to be a race where we're going to see young guns come through. This is a year where I think it's, things are just going to be mixed up big style. Like today's stage winner, he, he, cl- uh, he clearly looked like he was not going to give half a second up before that finish line. So you don't know, does he have uh, ideas on seeing if he can take the pink jersey later on? Because he's on the same, oh, well, as speaking, he's on the, the, the same time as um, the young, how, how do we pronounce his name? We've not had a chance to learn it yet, have we? Jo- Joao Almeida. There we are, right. Like, it is a one for young guns, I think. I'm really excited about this race. I think it's going to be um, a big bag of surprises. More so than the tour, I reckon. I mean, this whole season seems to be set up for that, right? It's just there's so many, there's so many question marks over everybody. And the sort of the ability of riders to stay motivated and fast throughout the the break and all the timings all off and you know we're having a we're having a Giro in in October for gonna say we're we're about to go into the spring classics in October things are just so weird this this year and I, I it's making for some great racing though right I mean the stuff has been I he's been pretty fantastic the other thing that we've noticed and maybe this is a good good time to pivot over to last weekend's racing uh and liege best on liege in particular is that it does kind of feel like you know a certain group of riders hit the hit their form at the right time and because everything is so compressed they're just they're they're kind of dominant right i'm thinking of of essentially mark hershey and julian alphilippe at the moment and I wonder if we're going to continue to see that, you know, whether, whether those two, maybe those two fall off form in the next couple of weeks, but we see the same thing across the, you know, the Northern classics. We can't really call them spring classics right now. The Northern classics, uh, potentially even the rest of the Ardennes, whether we see riders because everything's sort of compressed and, and moved, we see a, a smaller number of riders really hit, hit top form. Uh, and as a result, be super dominant throughout this sort of the entirety of of the races that they're focused on. But let's talk Liège. So it was a a fantastic race, great race at Liège on Sunday. Controversial finish. Uh, maybe, maybe not controversial isn't the right word, but there was controversy. We'll put it that way. So Julian Alphilippe kind of led out the sprint after. Uh, Mahorik came by, hopped on Mahorik's wheel, and then bounced off of that wheel. Looked around 
about 75 meters from the finish line and made a pretty abrupt cut left, touched wheels with Mark Hershey, who almost went down but didn't go down, but definitely slowed him and Pogacar quite a bit. Pogacar said after the race that he thought he was going to crash. And then Alphilippe thought he had won the race, stuck his hands up in the air, pulled a classic rookie move as the world champion, and got pipped at the line. Roglic came around to the right side, took his first monument victory, put the sadness of the Tour de France behind him, and Alphilippe was not only caught with his hands in the air, not winning the bike race, but was also then relegated for the maneuver that almost took out Hershey and Pogacar, back to the last place in the group, which was fifth. So a, kind of a rough day for Alaphilippe, but fantastic racing nonetheless. Yeah, I think Mark Hershey was probably pretty bummed after that. Uh, he, I think he probably would have won that race if he hadn't been forced to unclip uh, when Alaphilippe nearly ran him off the road or forced him to crash. Um, and Hershey, going in, it was basically, everybody kind of was thinking it's got to be Alaphilippe or Hershey for this finish. Um, and it, it did look like it was going to be. And then Hershey just... Yeah, I mean, he, he's already had a great year. Might have en- ended up with his first monument win, if not for that. Uh, so got to feel feel bad for him. That said, happy for Primoz Roglic because this is a big win for him. And it, it's not every day that you see, particularly now, I mean, maybe 15 years ago, it was more common to see uh, Grand Tour contenders uh, in, in the one-day races, uh, particularly the Liege. Uh, but other than Alejandro Valverde, who won, won a Vuelta and has also won a bunch of... Uh, of Liège and like Lombardia type races, uh, we don't have we haven't seen a lot of that. We haven't seen a lot of Grand Tour winners um, mixing it up at Liège. And Roglic, after his very disappointing Tour de France, at least he comes away with a monument win. It's not a Tour de France by any means, but it's a big win for him and not one I think a lot of people would have expected, just because it's a difficult skill set. The the one day race is very different from a from a stage race. You, you know, we asked this question a couple of weeks ago right after the tour wrapped up and as we were heading into the series of one days including worlds and liege and and and, you know all the rest whether doing the tour de france in this compressed calendar would turn out to be a good thing or a bad thing for riders form i think that the, the absolute clear answer to that is it was a good thing right riders who did the tour are now flying everyone else seems to be struggling and look at that front group at liege it's all tour riders, every single one of them. I think Mahorek was at the tour, right? He's the only one that I wasn't sure about. Yeah, so all, tour? Yep. all five of them were at the Tour de France. And granted, you know, at some point, that form is going to fall off, right? It, it, there's no way they can hold it. But maybe they don't want to, you know? Like, Alaphilippe's, he's, he's got his world championship. He, well, came very close to winning Liège. Roglic, yes, had the heartbreak at the Tour de France, but then comes back and wins Liège. Tadej Pogacar wins the Tour de France and is now, you know, uh, just present at the front of every single race since then, including Worlds. It seems to me now we, have, we yeah, we have an answer to that question, right? The, the, the Tour de France was good for riders who wanted to win one days in the weeks after the Tour de France. No, so what you're saying, Kaylee, is that we need to move the Tour of UAE or whatever it's called and slam the Tour de France in that place now so we get all the Grand Tour contenders going straight into the classics and mixing it up because I think I think this whole calendar shake-up has been awesome I'd love to see the UCI sit down and have a rethink about how races are placed out throughout the season yeah I mean you know, I think it's I think it's a bit busy, right? There's like there's too much, there's a little bit too much going on. I mean, the fact that 
you're forced to pick which bike race to watch in a given morning is is not great as a fan uh but i think the timing is actually really interesting and i think yeah maybe cycling could learn a bit from this and and i think that sort of compressed calendar if you actually had you know we've talked about narrative a lot right if you actually had a, a bit of a narrative in there and not sort of all this overlap it is it's pretty pretty interesting, you know. If you had a Tour de France and then a pile of one days right afterward, more than just San Sebastian, uh, I I like this feel of the of the calendar this year. I just wish that, you know, I wasn't trying to watch a Giro stage and Liège at the same time, finishing within fifteen minutes of each other. That was that was not super great. It's it's why like the reason that we have all of these Tour de France riders at the one day races is because you have the Giro going on right now and the Vuelta about to start. So teams are split into three different gen- GC like three different Grand Tour teams and they have no one else to send to the one day races than the guys who just did the tour. True. Yeah, I mean I guess the other reason why we're seeing a lot of uh a lot of tour riders at the front of Liège is because the Liège peloton in general is pretty similar to the entire tour peloton because everyone who didn't do the tour is now either headed to the Giro or the Vuelta and so generally was not doing Liège because, well, they were either already at the Giro or about to go to the Vuelta. Because, yeah, these, I mean, essentially these these teams are not big enough to run all this entire program with any spares, right? Like, there's not a lot of extra riders just floating around right now. There were... Over the last couple months, I mean, there were riders who had very little racing up until this point. But now that we're into sort of the meat of the season, it's these teams are stretched. They're absolutely stretched. And if we see, you know, a bunch of injuries or illnesses, you know, we're going to start seeing teams line up at races with fewer than the maximum number of riders. That wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. What would be interesting to delve into is to see actually how logistics work for the team. Because I've been in a service course of a few teams up in Belgium at the start of the season and seen the calendars for where the trucks go and what bikes go and what trucks at this time because what a lot of people won't realise is there'll be a truck that'll go to, I don't know, um, Tour de Basque Country and it'll have the bikes for that race in there but it'll also carry a few bikes for the race that is after that because the truck's going to go from this race to that race. They don't come back to the service course. So you, you wonder how crazy it is for the staff members to organize around this re- this uh, calendar this year cuz i bet there's bikes floating around here there and everywhere on planes and getting well lost. not to mention the fact that if if you know if and then if you get any any coronavirus positives within your team then that whole thing can get thrown for a loop right i mean if you get a, if you get a mechanic or a bus driver who suddenly cannot suddenly has to leave the race bubble then you know throws everything out of whack so we're going to see some weird stuff over the next couple of weeks that is for sure. Let's talk women's liege. Lizzie Dynan, Abby, what happened? Yeah, everything was pretty calm until about 50 kilometers to go on the Côte de la Visquet. Sorry. Um, when a breakaway of nine riders made their way off the front, the break included a lot of big names. Um, Mariana Voss of CCC Live, who obviously just won three stages of the Giro Rosa, two riders from Trek Sega Fredo, Ellen Van Dyke and Lizzie Dagnan, Akeep Polly Cause, Marlon Rooser, who just was silver medal um, in the time trial at the World Championships, Juliette Labousse of Team Sunweb, Labou of Team Sunweb, 
Um, the Bulls Dolmens rider, Amy Peters, who is an incredible sprinter and has a extensive list of victories. Gracie Brown of Mitchelton Scott. Um, Katrin Al, Al, I'm so sorry, Elrude of Movistar and Hannah Barnes of Canyon Stram. So a pretty excellent breakaway formed. They worked really well together, although they didn't ever get a ton of time hovering around two to three minutes. And on Côte de la Redoute, Dagnan made her move. She managed to get some time over the top over the remainder of the breakaway. And she extended her time all the way until 15K to go, where she hit the next significant climb of the day. Dane, how do you pronounce it? The, the Rochefoucauld? The Rochefoucauld. On that climb, Grace Brown attacked out of the breakaway and gained time on Dignan really, really quickly. She was within 30 seconds of Dignan over the top of the climb, and it's only about two kilometers long, so she got a ton of time in a very short amount of climbing. In the run into the finish, it was about 15K to go, and Grace Brown was able to get within 10 seconds of Dignan with 4K to go. Uh, the break, the rest of the breakaway behind did not organize very well and was not able to catch Brown or Dagnan. Lizzie managed to hold off Grace all the way to the finish line. She was able to take her second monument win after Flanders in 2016, although the women don't really have monuments like the men have monuments. Um, this is only the fourth edition of Liège Bastogne Liège for the women. Behind the breakaway and the two solo escapees, the situation in the peloton was really interesting. Because so many teams were represented up in the break, the only people left to chase were really Demi Vollering of Park Hotel Valkenburg and Cecile Utrip Ludwig of FDJ Nouvelle Aquitaine Futuroscope. And they didn't have a ton of help, so the gap never got close, but it also never got far away. And actually... Over the top of the La Redoute climb, it was it was only about a minute and a half to Dagnan with the breakaway in between Dagnan and the chasing peloton, in quotes, because at the point of La Redoute, the pace of Volering in the, on the peloton actually completely fractured the peloton. And for a little bit, there was a group of six chasing the breakaway that included Kashini Madoma, Cecilia Ludwig, Demi Volering. So at one point, it looked like it had the potential of all coming back together or at least resetting the race situation at the beginning, at the head of the race before they got to the final climb. But it did end up that Dagnan won the race, which was great. It was a really exciting finish just because the time gaps were so close that you actually didn't really know what was going to happen until the end of the race. So really good Liege Bast on Liege on the women's side interesting sort of breakaway tactics and and strategy i think in this race because as you say not really what you would expect sort of a, you know an early nine rider move that essentially then ends up determining the rest of the race but the fact that you had every single one of the of the major teams well except for maybe after uh and a I think that was pretty much it, right? Like they, you know. Yeah, FDJ and, and Park Hotel were pretty much the only big teams not re- represented. Movistar was up there. Um, yeah, like I said, Sunweb. And and Lizzie Dagnan said after the race that she, 
in order to win the race, she knew she had to get to the base of La Redoute in front of Anamik and Anna van der Bregen, because when it comes to climbing right now, it's just impossible to beat those two. Um, and Mariana Voss had the exact same thought, apparently. Um, so the two of them who were arguably two of the best sprinters in that breakaway, also Hannah Barnes is sprinting really well right now. They, they all had the same tactic to get to La Redoute before Anamik and Anna van der Bregen. And yeah, Lizzie just climbed better than, than the rest really. Yeah. And because every single major team had, or most major teams had somebody up in that move and nobody really had a huge amount of incentive to chase it down. And so that, that sort of determined the, the outcome of the entire race Some some clever tactics there from Trek Segafredo and, and CCC and for Marianne Voss. Uh, yeah, I, I love seeing a race that sort of plays out and not exactly how you would expect it, right? You normally, you, you know, yeah. big, big group into La Redoute gets slightly smaller, Rocha Facon, you, you know, then you see somebody go, maybe you see somebody go in La Redoute, but to have it all mixed up like that, it's a good bike race. And even when Lizzie Dagnan was off the front on La, um, on the second climb that I can't pronounce. Rocha Facon. <laughs> That one. Yeah, that one. Um, even on that one, like Lizzie on, only had a little bit over a minute to Demi Vollering and the rest. And then the break was in between that. And then Gracie Brown was in between that. So even 15 kilometers from the finish, there was still a ton of possibility that the whole thing could have come back together. And maybe the time gaps were a little bit off, but from a viewer's perspective, you're looking at those time gaps and you're like, oh man, this could be an epic finale. And so the possibility that it could have been, could have all come back together in the run into the finish kind of made it even more exciting, even though the race was determined with 30 kilometers to go already. Dagnan now leads the world tour, right? Correct. Yeah. She was leading the world tour through the Giro Rosa and then with Anna Vandebregen's win at Flesh Wallone, uh, Dagnan lost the pink, the purple jersey. But yeah, she's re- regained it now. And she said after the race that um, her and Elisa Longo-Borghini are both really, really close in the points to winning that. So from now on, there's barely any racing left for the women, really. And so they're just going to have a really fun time with that jersey, was her like exact wording. <laughs> Uh, also, big news for Trek. Van Dyke finishing third was a huge surprise to me. Uh, she is not a rider that I would have expected to be up at Liège. Uh, the, the, I wouldn't have considered her among the better climbers in the race. So the fact that she is on good enough form to finish on the podium at Liège, I think bodes really well for the rest of her season because she's a specialist in the races that are coming up. Um, obviously, Flanders, uh, a race that she's won before back in 2014, uh, and she's just great on the cobbles. And the inaugural women's Paris-Roubaix. If it happens, we've seen some question marks over that due to the coronavirus situation in France. But if it happens, uh, Van Dyke would have already been one of the favorites for that race. And now with the form that she showed to, to finish third at Liège, I mean, that, that's she's got to be feeling pretty good ahead of the, the classics and just hopeful that they're going to go ahead. She's really, it's it's been impressive watching Van Dyke because she's really gotten better and better and better at every single race. And you can kind of see it in her results. Um, like she lost the European time trial championship for the first time in her career, which must have been a punch in the gut for her. But to Anna Vandebregen, who's a clearly on unbelievable form this season. And yeah, Van Dyke had a really good Giro Rosa. She was up there on the final stage, which was not really 
build as a course for her. So right now she's climbing really, really well. And it'll be interesting to see. Definitely, I agree, Dane. Interesting to see her in the next couple of races because Ghent-Wevelgum is the next women's race on October 11th. And that suits her pretty well at the moment. Um, so really, Trek, you know, as it's been all season, Trek has the numbers more so than any other team. And yeah, they've really... It's been impressive watching them this season. So speaking of races coming up, we do have some cancellations and concerns. What is this? What's the, what's the next couple of weeks look like? Yeah, from a world tour perspective, uh, basically it's the Giro is going on while the classics uh, continue. So Gent Wevelgum, the next world tour race, I think on both sides, uh, and then the Tour of Flanders, and then on uh, uh, the next weekend, there's there's going to be quite a bit of action. We've talked about this a little bit. Uh, Pere Roubaix is on. Uh, so on the Sunday, October the 25th, that also happens to be the last day of the Giro d'Italia. And it also happens to be a stage of the Vuelta España. So there will be uh, plenty of bike racing to watch. If you have a, a three-part, uh, if you have a triple screen, you can watch all three at once. Um, because, yeah, uh, there's, there's going to be basically every big name that you know of that's not hurt uh, is going to be racing uh, somewhere along the way uh, on, on October 25th. And Amstel Gold is not happening. Amstel Gold canceled. Yeah, that's a big bummer. Uh, hopefully there aren't any other races that kind of have that same fate. We've I just mentioned it with Paris-Roubaix. There's been some talk with the rising coronavirus cases in France, and particularly in Lille, the city in northern France that Roubaix is just sort of just outside of. Um, the rising cases there have made it a bit of a question mark, and the local government there uh, is still kind of going over their options uh, and, and kind of also waiting on word from the, the French government as to how things are going to proceed. Yeah, in Paris at the moment, they're actually going into not a soft lockdown, but they're, they're shutting bars, restaurants, stuff like that, which have been open for a good couple of months now. So things are spiraling quickly there, and they're shutting them down for the next two weeks. So you do wonder if that's going to have a knock-on effect, because obviously Paris-Roubaix Paris -Roubaix doesn't start in Paris. It starts out uh, an hour sort of west, no, uh, east Northwest, yeah. Of of Paris, in yeah, northeast. Sorry, uh, but that area back in the initial wave of COVID was hit pretty badly. That was like a a red hot zone where it pretty much kicked off in France. So hopefully things calm down a bit in the Paris area. That two weeks of no bars, no no restaurants, cinemas, anything like that, will get the situation under control. And the race can go ahead. Fingers crossed. But it is organised by the ASO, so they did show that they can control things pretty well at the tour, didn't they? Unlike the Giro, did you watch today's stage? The amount of people on the Mount Etna without masks. It was crazy. Yeah, not great. Not a great look. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. I think it's time now to go chat with Inigo. So, for anybody who missed the episode last week we talked to him for about 20 minutes and uh second half of the interview today another 15 20 minutes chatting with Tade Pogacar's coach guy who has been doing physiological testing on Pogacar since he was about 18 uh 18 19 years old been doing it for a couple of years now and had some fascinating things to say last week about sort of the the what he first saw from Pogacar from a from a physiological standpoint, from a metabolic standpoint, uh, that, that really makes him quite special even amongst other World Tour pros. Uh, in this upcoming conversation, I ask near the end pretty bluntly how 
sort of how, how we can believe in in this particular ride uh, and why we should believe in this particular ride. And I, th- I think it's it's a question worth asking, obviously. Uh, and I like Inigo's answer. I mentioned this in last week's episode too. I, I personally, for some reasons that I actually can't really say on the record because they come from off the record conversations. Uh, but I, I can say that I find Inigo to be quite credible and when i found out that inigo was tade pogacar's coach it actually um i don't know it sort of made me feel better about about this year's tour de france result Uh, just to sort of be very honest and blunt about that and yeah inigo appears to be from what i've seen over the last couple years and i've been chatting with him for close to a decade now about various things seems to be a credible source um and so let's hear from inigo san milan on Tade Pogacar. This is kind of a Tour de France one in a very different way than the way we've seen the Tour one for the last decade, right? Do, do you see that physiolo- physiologically? Do you see that, um, do you see Tade doing extra work because he doesn't have a team or, or things like that? Or, is, or do you think that it's, it is sort of possible to win the tour again the way he did which is very much follow the back of another team and 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 just sort of pick his moments kind of thing is there anything you could pick out of that sort of from the numbers and things like that that's a very good question and 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 honestly i'm not a strategist right i wish i could be <laughs> but uh, that's more for the sports directors and the managers right but i my opinion is that um uh the team has been helping as much as they could obviously today and 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 there's a lot of work that we don't see right in the first half of the team there's a lot of water bottles that the teammates bring there's a lot of protection that the teammates bring and yeah maybe we see on tv that the last climb or the the last two climbs that there's only one teammate there or so right that doesn't mean that the team hasn't done anything right but obviously we see other teams like jumbo with all the writers or most of the writers <laughs> right that's where we wish to be, right? But we are not there. We don't have their level, uh, unfortunately, as a whole. But that's where Tadej has been played, playing very smart and has been taking advantage, you know? And all, all he had to do is mark Roglic. And at the end of the day, that's my opinion. If you can have the strongest team in the world, but if you just mark that one guy, you just have to mark him and go with him. And, and, yeah. and, 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 and that's what Tadej has done precisely. So I want to speak specifically about the final time trial. It was, you know, it was incredible. It was amazing. Um, one of the best days of racing I've, I've, I've seen ever in the Tour de France. And I wanted to ask you about sort of the way you approach uh, splits for that and, and pacing for that. And, you know, it was a really difficult TT to kind of set up for because it, it had those 30K of kind of rolling and flat and then, what, 5.9 kilometers straight up a mountain, right? So, so how, did you, how did you come at that? that problem and how do you solve that problem yeah so for us first we we, we have prepared that time trial uh, in a very high detail so we we went and did a recon of that the time trial in july we spent the whole day there with the team uh where we did once the whole parkours of the time trial uh just to inspect it and then we redid it again at a competition pace so today is super smart he remembers well he visualizes well so he knew where he had to crank it up and where were the most uh, difficult or from technical aspects to maybe difficult also in percentage-wise of the grading, for example, right? Then we, we, we also prepared, I mean, did that day the bike change and we were 
studying it. Should we should we change the bike? Should we use these wheels? Maybe uh, this helmet or so we, we we study that. But the important thing too also is that beyond that day, we had done we have done before and after. We have done time trial practice of thirty six kilometers. You know, so that he could repeat the effort. This is something that I like. I I, I don't like to to train a, a thirty six time trial. 36 kilometer time trial doing 10, 10k time trial it's not going to work you know you have to do the same effort so that's why he he went into the time trial we knew that it was uh it was very important for us so it's nothing that oh time trial tomorrow okay no 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 we, we, we've been working on that for months right mm-hmm. that's number one number two also we were in a very favored position luckily for us so we had the the, the young jersey was in the pocket we had for, for sure, right? Mm-hmm. The second position, we knew that we're definitely, or Tade is definitely better than, than Miguel Anthony Lopez, no? So we were not afraid of losing the second position, even if he blow up, right? And therefore, we had absolutely nothing to lose, right? Uh, so why not just going at a, a, just all out? You know, even if he blew up, Tade, uh, which usually he doesn't tend to blow up because he has a very high suffering capacity, but even if he blow up, he would still have the, the young jersey, and he would still have the, uh, the second overall. But why not going for that? So the strategy was to, uh, to try to also, and, and this is also a thing that uh, we, we discussed the, the day before, right? It's like, uh, do, I, do I use power or do I go sensations? Mm-hmm. And we, we, something that happens a lot with power is that it, it, it's, it's a, a mind game. Right. Uh, if you if you stuck and looking at power, and that day you don't have the right the best sensations, for example, you're screwed. Or or if that day the power meter is not because not always the power meters were perfect. If that day the power meter is a little off, or what if the power meter from the TT bike is slightly different than the power meter installed on the road bike? It's going to screw up with your mind, you know. Mm-hmm. So with that also, and, and the thing that with the fact that we had nothing to lose, we went for it. And Tadeusz said, "Okay, I'm going to go for it." And Another thing we knew is that many people, especially Roglic, was going to start conservative because he had all the references, right? And when you have references, you can say, okay, I'm going to keep this guy at bay in the flat section and, and I'm going to crank it up in the, on the uphill, right? But if you mess up with his head, you have nothing to lose. You do like a kamikaze, right? You just <laughs> go for it. Yeah, you mess up with his head, you might start at the bottom and, and, and the references are so big on you that... You, you, mentally, you, you're you're done, right? And and we saw also, yeah, Robles, you know, had unfortunately for him, and I felt bad for him, like many of us, right? But uh, he had a really bad day that day, you know. But mentally, he he was also he fell apart, you know. Mm-hmm. And probably he he not he didn't expect to start at the bottom of the climb with so much time lost already. Right. And that's why, like, oh shit, I can't turn this around, you know. But that's why, like, we decided to 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 go for it all out. Mm-hmm. Hmm. He he sounds like someone who who acts a lot older than he actually is. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Uh, his maturity. It is like uh, he's never. You will never see him nervous. You will never see him with pre- he, pressure. Especially he doesn't feel the pressure. He he he's he's a that's a huge advantage, right? Um, what I was saying earlier. There's the fear to lose. But a very important thing, and many sports psychologists can tell you this, is the fear to win, right? Many people know that if they win, they're going to go to the next level. 
in their career and, and, and they're afraid of that and causes a lot of anxiety. Claro, doesn't care. If he's the Tour de France, I was speaking with him yesterday. He was in his apartment in Monaco, you know, hanging out with his girlfriend, cooking together and like nothing had happened, you know. Um, that's Tade. He's very, very um, uh, yeah, calm for that. And I'll tell you what, uh, one, one, one funny fact about, well, funny. I, I, that's one of the things I realized that uh, he's at a different level mentally in the Tour of California last, last year. So remember when, I don't know if you were there, but uh, uh, one of the stages, the, the previous, the one before Montpaldi, um, Sam Bennett, it, it was a three, three, two or three kilometer climb, uh, and then a fast descent, big highway, and the finish line. So about 10K or 15 from the top to the finish line. So Sam Bennett and Yigita attacked on that climb. And there were only like 12, 13 guys, something like that. So somebody in Egita, in Tadet, they didn't go for them. And, uh, and luckily, in the descent, in the big highway, they, 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 uh, they, ca they caught him. So when, when, when Tadet crossed the finish line on the way to the hotel, I said, like, Tadet, what the hell, you didn't attack? You have the legs? Like, nope, I didn't want to attack. Why? Because I want to, I want, tomorrow is Montbaldi. So I know those two guys are strong for tomorrow because they have attack. But I wanted to see how the rest are. And I want to sit back and and observe them. I want to see how they're breathing. I want to see how their face look like, how their sensations are, the body language. And, uh, and then I saw like, none of these guys are going to be my rivals for tomorrow. Only Bennett and Nigita. And effectively, the next day, there were Bennett and Nigita. But for a 20-year-old kid, in the midst of a high-pressure finish, race, race finish, right, to, to pause everything and think that way and analyze everything, it's spectacular. That is pretty amazing. Yeah, I, I, re I read an interview that you did with, with uh, Eurosport in Spain where you mentioned the fact that you actually had to like slow him down kind of this spring because yeah. he, like, he was too fast too early. Can you talk about that at all? Yeah, so this COVID year, we all know it's been a, a shit show, <laughs> but uh, um, it's been crazy to, to prepare the season, right? Um, first, we didn't know at all if even we're going to have a season, right? Uh, at first, we all thought that that was it. And uh, in a way, okay, let's let's have the riders just ride their bikes. You know, we, we didn't want to uh, to to ride hard and train hard. We're talking in about March, April, right? Uh, then we start to train um, a little more, excuse me, serious because it seemed like there was some possibility. So we want to be ready. And since our 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 team our our team was very generous and they were paying for a full salary, you know, I know because. Some teams, they did like a four loss, like in many businesses, right? Um, the team decided to pay everything. So we said, okay, the, the, we need to at least train. So he started to train a very structured way. And, and again, going back to what we mentioned earlier, right? We monitor him every day, every day, every day, which before you didn't do. And that's when like one day, mid-May, I saw like, holy crap, this guy's flying. It, it was like a very good week that he did. And his numbers were similar to what we have seen in the tour. Yeah. You know, and uh, so this guy's flying. So I, I decided, hey, Tade, you know, like, let's play conservative because if we still have for the tour, which which we, it would be back then by May, it was a good possibility of that to happen. But we still had uh, um, June, July, August and mid-May, three and a half months. And that's what I do. You know, if we keep, I mean, I, I, I don't know how you can improve to be honest this season right yeah i think you're you're ready to go now but 
I think mentally and physically, I, I don't think you can sustain this for three and a half months. So I, I tell you, like, man, let's, let's, let's cut it off here and I go with your girlfriend, Urska, for uh, one week. Got lost in the mountains. He was in Slovenia. Got lost uh-huh. for a week and, 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 and I, I, I just stopped him. And yeah. So you, you mentioned that he was doing his, his sort of his best numbers or, or, or the same numbers at the Tour de France. Can, can you say what those numbers are? I, I think people are just curious, sort of what, like, what is the number that wins the Tour de France? Is it 6.3 watts per kilo? Is it 6.4? Can you put one number on it yeah. or is it more complicated than that? No. So, so you know, he was, he was uh, at the end of like six hours, for example, he was already climbing at 6.3. A, a, a client, right, by himself, you know, like and a, after a high pace, for example. So that's what mm-hmm. you see. Wow, you know, he can do this after five hours of training, or five and a, in five five and a half hours in his legs, and he can pull out a climb at a six point three watts per kilogram. Like, oh, that's that's something that yeah, and and without altitude training, right, and without competition right. pace. So I think like wow, I think that we're in a very good spot, and that's why you see like oh crap, you know. We have those numbers. We have that in the bank. We're not going to lose it unless we really want to keep training, training. We have three and a half months, right? So, okay, let's, we know that we can do that again. So let's, let's buck off. Let's uh, recover mentally and physically and, uh, and let's rebuild. And, and then that's when we, we knew that we were have a big training camp coming up. That is going to improve. We, we had Dauphiné River as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was going to give us that also intensity because we didn't train much of that intensity knowing on purpose that we have a long time to go in Dauphiné. And that's what we, we did it. We did our, our best given the, the pandemic, right? And we try to uh, um, adjust the trainings, you know? But this is this is one of the things that um, it's, it's been difficult, right? I, I see that other writers have done similar, other writers have done different, and uh, it varies, right? It's possible that some writers, they already were too strong at Dauphiné. And maybe in the last mm-hmm. week of the tour, Mm, they weren't that there or, or other others already were kind of burned out in Dauphine already thinking that maybe they had to really uh, train very, very hard. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. We, we did our, the best that we could. And, and I think it worked. I mean, it clearly worked. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. definitely worked. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you see Tade's numbers all the time. And yeah. when, when we, when we posted the story about him winning the Tour de France, the, the comment section just filled with people saying, this is impossible. This is not, this is, you know, the, the old pas normal, the, this is too fast. How do you respond to those people as the person who not only sees his, his output, but you know, sees his blood profile, sees all these things. How do you respond to, to that age-old cycling criticism right there well I, I on one hand i understand it right um on the other hand that's they 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 need to uh time will tell right and i'm very sure that we are uh, in front of uh, uh the next big big champion you know i think that if we neglect that uh we're we cannot ever in the history of cycling have another champion like eddie Merckx again or bernardino or anquetil or even in durain I think that, um, you know, it, it, it's not good to have that mentality, right? We, I think we're due to a big champion, you know, every 20, 25 years, not just cycling, but the rest of the sports, they have a, the, that big champion that is going to be one of the best five in history or six, right? Uh, I think that the time has come, right? And today is one. And, and I, I, I would tell these people that, um, you know, they're going to see today many years at the same level, yeah. you know, and the same way we, we, we see like uh, with uh, Evan Paul, right? I think that uh, might be similar in, in Bernal and 
and and this is kind of what we see in soccer that the biggest players are Maradona and Pelé and Di Stefano, right? Um, but but it had been like a 25 years or so until Ronaldo and Messi came up, right? And and not only came up, but came up at the same time. So for all the soccer lovers, uh, it's been and I'm one of them. It's been it's been a, an amazing pleasure that we would not not see in our lifetime again probably to see two of the five best players in history playing together uh, in the same league for almost a decade, you know? Uh, so why not? You know, I think that we're due to that. And I think that it, it, if we, every time that someone comes and like, oh, it's not going to work or, you know, uh, we don't believe in like, well, we, we, we will not be able to, to move, 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 move on. I mean, do you believe in sort of a physiological human limit? Like, is there a, is there a watts per kilogram number that is, that is unbelievable for you? Yeah. Is there, is there yeah. a limit? Yeah. Oh, I, I think that, yes. I think something that is in the, in the order of 6.7, no, 6. Point, it depend, I mean, it depends. We have to take this in a grain of salt. It's not the same mm-hmm. thing to do 6.5 kilograms or 6.6 kilograms, uh, you know, out of your house, right, and flag stuff, than do flag stuff with uh, five hours in your legs, right? So that's what we talk about that. But I think that, yeah, something that, you know, 6.789, you know, in the competition with 100 kilometers in your hand. I mean, that's that's beyond human limits right now, but how maybe in 20 years they're not. And this is kind of what we we're talking earlier. You know, the monitoring of athletes is much better already in a very early age. You know, that, that going back to the same thing, we have a much better monitoring of the players, of the, of the athletes right now, right? Uh, and a much earlier age, they start having, they start coaching, they start training seriously with good monitoring at the age of 13, 14, whereas before they started when they were 18 or 19 or 20. That mm-hmm. improves, you know, then the monitoring, we couldn't monitor it well. Then altitude, the technology, the equipment. So, I mean, I mean, you know, you, you would not ride a 20-year-old bike. Why? Because today's bikes are better. And why are better? Because we have better engineers, better softwares more preparation and, and that what leads to progress. So, you know, to think that that progress is not going to, not, not going to lead to improvement in the human physiology, I think that in my opinion, doesn't make any sense, right? Um, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying that we, we're going to go from six watts to eight watts or seven watts, right? But I mean, it's, it, I mean, it, it, make, it makes sense, you know? Uh, but again, maybe in 20 years, People will be talking about us and like, oh, those guys had no freaking idea on how to train, right? Or how to eat, you know? And and maybe we can see. I have no idea. I have no idea, but I know that things are, are improving. And if you if you talk to any big pro, you know, uh, uh, who were in, in the sport, like even even you talk to Lemont, you know, Lemont was like a, I always admire him because he was the 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 revolutionary of the sport, you know, when nobody had a the, the TT extensors, he had TT extensors, the helmet, the skin suit, the, 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 power, the power meter. We always forget that the Mon already in, in 1990 or 91 had a power meter, the SRM, mm-hmm. right? Uh, training methodologies, you know, it's like the glasses, like you name it, right? The, the, the clipless pedals, you know, he was the, the revolutionary, you know, and they thought he was crazy. Now, was that an advantage for him? Of course, it was an advantage, right? Uh, he was way ahead of his time. But even if you today ask Greg, someone, you know, so advanced in his times already, like Greg LeMond, 
what does he think about the kids, how the kids prepare today? They would mm-hmm. tell, he would tell you, and I don't know him, you know, but I'm sure that he would tell you like, well, these kids are a whole different level than where we were, you know, mm-hmm. um, in, in nutrition, in training, monitoring, you know, equipment. So why not seeing that uh, we, we, our athletes are better than they were 20 years ago? Well, Inigo, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I really appreciate the chat and, and just the, all the insight into, well, maybe the greatest cyclist of our generation we're about to find out over the next couple of years, right? I think that it, it's, yeah, he, he, we have had it for four years. I have no doubt about it. But likewise, I mean, he's going to be Renko Evenpol and Bernal, yeah. you know. I'm, I'm sure that he will correct the mistakes he did this year, right? And he will be at a much higher level. So we might see that maybe today is at a more similar level, right? And because mm-hmm. these, these two guys are going to be players again and, and Roglic, you know, and, and others that might come up, right? So I think that uh, it's going to be, uh, in my opinion, very exciting in the next years. And um, But I, I trust that he's going to keep improving. And also, I, he's a killer, right? He, he doesn't care. He, uh, he, he, if he has to die, he will die killing others, you know? <laughs> That's his nature. Yeah, as all the best bike racers are, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I appreciate the time. I really do. Uh, yeah, you. and you know, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll, we'll be chatting again soon. Next time, next time today's does something amazing. So yeah, whether that's later this season or sometime next year, but always good to talk to you. Yeah. Talk to you. Well, there you go. That's the last of our little interview with Inigo San Milan. Hope you enjoyed. Hope it was informative. Uh, I did. I got. I got a bunch of messages after the first segment, basically just asking for some sort of, some more info on his credibility. Um, again, I, I wish I could tell you some of the stories that that I've heard off the record uh, that I've discussed actually with Inigo, but we were off the record. And uh, but I can say that I find him credible, and that does not necessarily mean that I you know wholeheartedly believe in all of cycling and all of even that team uh the the, the, there is reason to be skeptical particularly with that team given the 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 people at the top of it Janetti is a goes all the way back to some quite sketchy teams including Sonia Duvall which had a number of uh, who's the general manager I should say uh, Sonia Duvall which had a number of of positives uh about 10 years ago so yes there is reason to be skeptical however I am not particularly skeptical, or I should say cynical, um, when it comes to Inigo himself. And he certainly makes a good case for Tata Pogacar being just a sort of a freak among freaks. So we'll keep chatting with Inigo uh, over the next couple months because he's got lots of interesting things to say. In fact, I'm, I'm working with him now on a story about some of the testing that he's been doing and what he's learning from that. Again, you know, Inigo is a, primarily a cancer researcher, and so a lot of the tests that he develops are, are actually they're mostly used in in things like cancer diagnosis, but turns out that you know those tests are also quite useful in determining sort of physical athletic ability as well. All right, let's wrap up for today. Hope you enjoyed the episode, and we will be back next week. Bye, everybody. <laughs>